Hello, and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where we are increasingly more of real professionals and less of air quotes real professionals, uh, which is not a turn I expected the uh, podcast to ever take. Maybe around like episode 500, I would have figured out how to do all this. But, uh, you know, with the uh, recent release of the DreadX collection and the star cast of uh, characters that we keep seeing on this podcast, it's it's just been, uh, it's been a really great journey, and I'm uh, really appreciative of all the people that uh, have joined us for this whole thing, uh, Mom and my girlfriend. Um... So, uh, you know, this week, Jesse will not be able to join us. Uh, unfortunately, he had surgery. Uh, you know, he had to get the rest of his brain removed. He was developing some real uh, uncouth opinions, like uh, that, that Clock Tower uh, was overrated and uh, Silent Hill Homecoming was the best Silent Hill. So, you know, we just sent him off to get a quick bit of his last free will removed. Uh, but he will be back pretty soon with uh, less controversial takes on everything. So, uh, you know, with that being said... I've got uh, Jordan Maki here from uh, Catchweight Studios. They are recently released their Kickstarter for Conscripts. I'm really looking forward to uh, listening about that. And then uh, John Shemansky here, uh, who is uh, at least a third of the Shemanskys. I'm not sure there's an undetermined <laughs> number, but we'll find out. That'll be part of our, our, our interview here. So, DJ, drop that sick beat. Welcome, Jordan and John over here. How are y'all doing today? Doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? Good. Jordan, doing how's... Doing good. Thanks for uh, having me on. Much yeah. appreciated. You're all the way in um, lovely Australia, right? That's it. Far away from the rest of civilization. <laughs> well, because... Uh, you, you're, but you're in Melbourne, right? Yep, yep. Which is one of their bigger cities, correct? Yeah, yep. Probably... Well, it's not the capital, but... It's one of the biggest cities, yeah. Because Sydney's the capital, right? I think. Um, Canberra is, actually. Of Australia? Yeah. Huh. Am, I didn't am know. I, have, have I just like, humiliated myself? No, I mean, I, you probably <laughs> humiliated me. I don't know shit about Australia. I know secondhand a lot about Australia, which is that um, there's a lot of space. Just that's oh, my... Yeah. yeah. You Probably, just, yeah, whenever I think of Australia, that's all I think of is the open plains. Yeah, I'd say like a good 90% of it is just nothing. <laughs> wow, yeah. yeah. You know, there's um, it's actually kind of interesting because I, I remember when the movie The Proposition came out. Have you heard of that one? No, no. Oh, it's like a Western that takes place in uh, Australia. Um, but there's they were saying that at the time, I think this is... Uh, early 2000s that they thought there was going to be a new wave of uh, Australian westerns because the the, the, the United States western well the yeah, United yeah. yeah the United States western genre had like kind of all dried up and in Australia uh, they had their own kind of wild west phase that you know yep. has yet to be dived into that would be yeah, so yeah. cool I would really like that yeah, um, yeah there's um kind of a famous figure ned kelly who's like i don't know if you've heard of him, ned kelly run 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 ned kelly yeah i've heard of ned kelly yeah, of course yeah yeah so he, he was the big thing like probably i don't know 20 years ago there were quite a few movies about him but i feel like 
that's all kind of died out now. Yeah, he's the guy that strapped a bunch of pots to himself so they couldn't shoot him, right? Mm-hmm, pretty much. <laughs> Wait, what's this now? I've not heard about this. So you know in PUBG how if you have the pan on your ass it can deflect shots? He just was like, okay. what if I just like fully coat myself in that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, reasonable. <laughs> I could think of worse things to do. Yeah, his armor is in like a museum somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a pretty famous figure. Um, man... I, I, but I always have trouble. Uh, I just watched Unforgiven last night for like the third time. Uh, have you ever, have, have any of you ever seen that movie? I have not. No. You guys are uncultured swine. It won Best Picture in like two th- <laughs> or ninety something. It won Best Picture. What? It was a western. Clint Eastwood's in it, and it's it's basically it's a movie about the pointlessness of violence. It's like uh, it's it's like Clint Eastwood plays an old gunslinger because he's old wow. and he slings guns. And uh-huh. uh, it's kind of just like two hours of people being miserable and then a bunch of people die and there's no morals to it. And then it just ends and it's like sad. That sounds a lot <laughs> like um, No Country for Old Men. Yeah, I would say it's a, a very similar vibe, but uh, with a Old West setting. And uh, yeah. yeah, with modern ethics, the modern ethos of action films is that you either have to go like John Wick hyper action or be like sad action where it's like what's the point and like i, I don't think right. the western genre is like is is like the westerns that we think of when we're trying to have fun is like the good bad and the, the ugly but like it's it, it was increasingly over time just becoming like more and more sad cowboys wait so if i can read into what you're saying a bit ted what you're really looking for is like halfway in between you know the hyper action and the sad action, so you get something like a mopey action. No, no, is no. Is that kind of what you want? What I want is John Wick in the old west, like the modern day John <laughs> Wick. But like, yeehaw, bang, bang, and like, there's just no like consequence <laughs> to any of the violence. It's just like silly and stupid, like that. Oh yeah, that like the raid, but like with like an old cattle wrestler. That would be great. Yeah, that would be really fun. It doesn't work with the cowboy ethos, though, because, you know, it's all about cowboy philosophy and, you know, the simplicity of life and, you know, that's, so, like, part of the thing. There was there was a, a movie that's probably the best movie that's ever been made called The Warrior's Way. Have you guys seen The Warrior's Way? Can't say I have, no. Okay, The, <laughs> the Warrior's Way, you will want to watch it now that you've, you, as I described to you, uh, it's about a, 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 a samurai from uh, Japan. I think he's a ninja. I can't remember. He's a swords guy. And uh, he, he kills the leader of the opponent's clan, and he still feels nothing. And he, so he takes the last baby of the clan, and for, it sparks a... Anyways, it, it's, a, it's a samurai moves to the Old West. And, uh, uh-huh. and, and the, so the movie is like about an hour of this, this samurai guy falling in love with this like redheaded... Uh, kind of, uh, who's the lady that shot the guns in the old west? Uh, some gunslinger lady, and and then like learns the value of life and like starts planting flowers and like it's this, this like very cartoonish old west town because they have like a Ferris wheel and they thought the Ferris wheel would like revive the the the, the dying gold rush industry. <laughs> and and then the ninja clan. He opens his sword one day, and the ninja clan hears it across the world because they're ninjas, and so. They attack, but at the same time, the town is also getting attacked by raiders. So it's like Old West versus cattle wrestler evil cowboys versus ninjas. And so, like, you just have, like, Gatling gun fights versus ninjas. Yeah, it's, like, the best movie ever made, for sure. (laughs) It it is, like, bar none, the best. I don't even know why we're we're making horror games. We should just be making the Warriors (laughs) White clones. I mean, John, you need to put this into maximum action, for sure. 
You know, okay, so we've got a little bit of the Old West going on, because we've got the saloon and the canyon, where only a hop, skip, and a jump away. Yeah, you I know? mean, you just need to add ninjas now, and, uh, like, a minigun segment where you fire at ninjas. Yeah, so, like, man. attacking you, and you're, yeah, it's, it's a, anyways, you should watch the movie, it's, it's probably, uh, the best, the best film ever made, along with The Raid and Cold Mountain. I love Cold Mountain, but don't tell any of my cool friends I said that. Okay, on the topic of Westerns, uh, have either of you guys seen the original True Grit mm-hmm. before? Oh, okay. yeah. John Wayne. Uh, so, <laughs> back when I was, like, I don't know, maybe four or five years old, uh, six years old, I remember this, so I must have been, like, five or six. Um, my mom, you know, because they had the DVDs at the library that you could rent, and she was paging through, and she saw True Grit, rated G, um, because it was. And she was like, this sounds like a really fun movie that we can all watch. And so we pop it in at my grandparents' house, and I was horrified. Because, you know, there's, like, people getting hanged and blood and, yeah. you know, a bunch of stuff that a four- or five-year-old didn't want to see. And we, for forevermore, we've had no idea why on earth it was rated G. Like, at least PG. I know ratings are different back, like, 20 years ago, but still. Well, the know? original True Grit, I think, was in the 60s or 70s. I don't think it was 20 years ago. I think this was... Wait, was that really that old? Yeah, it's it's older. I'm trying to remember when. I off, Just off the top of my head. I don't want to click on my keyboard, because um, for once, I'm actually recording the podcast as opposed to Jesse, and it's just <laughs> it's going to be like... If I try to... I know that just, yeah. like, blew up everyone's uh-huh. eardrums, but they can deal with it for, like, half a second. <laughs> Uh, it'll make my voice more tolerable for those of the podcast if you just have half-functioning eardrums. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know that the, produ- the the way that movie ratings used to work, I know that they invented PG at some point. Or PG-13, maybe, at some point? I don't know. It was PG-13 that they invented, because there wasn't like a clear distinction between PG and R. Right, yeah. Because, yeah, it was it was general audiences, parental guidance suggested, and then R is, like, you know, restricted. And, yeah. um... But a lot of that came out of the the production code era. So it was like as long, like basically the moralization of films wasn't necessarily a, a surrounding violence, but surrounding like sex and sexuality. Right. Because of all the pearl clutching at the time. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the extent of my knowledge though. I should, like, I could talk, I, I, I do like know a little bit more about this, but I'm, I'm running up into the point where my facts might be coming bullshit. So if we were just, like, talking at a bar, I'd probably be, like, talking all about this. But, like, since we're being recorded and people can check my facts, like, I'm going to be a little bit more cautious with what I say. Oh, Ted admits that at a bar he's a very loose-lipped individual. Yeah, well, I mean, in person, I, I just kind of, like, make things up all the time because uh, that's how I hire developers. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> um Neither confirming nor denying that uh, John Chemansky here is part of the Dreadx Collection Volume Two. Definitely uh, not definitely confirming or denying. Not yeah. confirming or denying. Uh, um, or, uh, anyways, uh, wait, we're we're going to talk about video game though, right? Uh, Jordan, you made a video game. <laughs> You're making a video what? game. What? Indeed, indeed, I am. Why don't you tell us about it? Sure. So I am developing. I'm a solo developer of Conscript, which is essentially 2D um, survival horror set during World War One. That, that's the pitch. <laughs> that's, that's the short pitch. Yeah, much. yeah. Okay, yeah. well, you say solo developer, but did you design the engine you're making the game on yourself? That is true. I have... Um, who makes Game Maker? Yo-Yo? Yo-Yo, Yo-Yo Games, game? yeah. Well, I guess... <laughs> I guess technically they're part of the team too, then. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess if you're going by, like, you know, engine standards and stuff, Game Maker is about as independent as you can get. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess technically, um, so I'm, what would you say? I'm buying sounds, <laughs> obviously, because I have no means to produce the sounds by myself. But apart from that. Yeah, I mean, so you do all the art and the animation and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the art, I mean, it's a co- kind of a common question. Uh, if you look at the animations, they're clearly 3D models <laughs> just uh, <laughs> exported at um, low resolution because for a while there I tried to hand draw all the animations and I was like, this cannot be done. This cannot be done by myself because it will take way too long. And the game will never get done if I have to hand draw everything. So I just decided to, um, yeah, basically, so all the, all the character animations are just models in Blender. Uh, exported at really low resolution, and everything else in the game is pretty much hand-drawn. You know, I think this is the first time that I've ever heard of somebody using Game Maker and Blender for the same project. Yeah, yeah, I get that a lot. No one yeah. uh, uh, predicts that, I make, that I've made the game a Game Maker. It just doesn't really? like a Game Maker game, yeah. It's always Interesting. Or, or, yeah. No one ever guesses that. Yeah, that's <laughs> really cool. Mm. Yeah, no, that is really cool. I mean, that's... Uh, um... And I think that you have a very unique visual style that, uh, I mean, hopefully people are resonating with. How's the Kickstarter doing? Yeah, I mean, well, I'll be orange sugar-coated. It's going a bit slow at the moment. Um, but we're, we're, what, like two days in, so there's still a lot of time. And I guess if you go by the books, you know, people say if it doesn't reach X percent by X day, then it's a, you know, it's a failure or whatever. But fuck the books. Like, <laughs> we just keep trying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah keep so, that, man. Yeah, and no, I'm not not um not by any stretch. I'll just keep going because I, I do know that people are really loving the demo, which is really good news for me. Um, like I have not really heard anything bad about the demo at all, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's the uh, the thing is is that you know I I was when I discovered Conscript, I think it was because of a post <laughs> you had made on like R slash horror gaming or something. Like promoting your game and uh i was like this looks really cool and then i played the demo I was like this is really cool like this is a really like awesome game um and i i just feel like it's one of those where uh, the the unfortunate status of the gaming industry is that you know unless your game just like randomly lands really really popular with like a super hot trailer on the very correct subreddit to place it at this like 4 27 p.m on the third moon (laughs) yeah 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 uh, it's, yeah, it's don't just, get me started. I know, I know, I know. Well, it just takes a while for the, the, the audience to build. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for so long, I kind of fell into the trap where it was like, oh, you know, I have this kind of unique game in my hands and eventually, um, you know, people like it and eventually it will just, eventually one of my Twitter posts will just blow up. <laughs> like, and, and it just doesn't really happen. You know, for, like for some people uh, that are lucky, they will post that one thing on that one specific time and the algorithms will just blow it up, you know? Mm-hmm. And you can't, as, as a solo developer, you cannot rely on that because sometimes it's just not going to happen, you know? Well, it's happening less and less too. I mean, like, because there's, it's a more crowded indie marketplace. Yeah. And also, um, I don't know what, how the algorithms work or anything, but like, okay, you, everyone remember that game Routine? Not the one that uh, Corpse Pile made, but the one that was like the sci-fi space uh, survival oh, game. Rings that was, the bell. Rings the bell. Yeah, it was supposed to come out like 27 years ago or something. No, more like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it got really, really popular because it was at a time where there wasn't a <laughs> lot of indie horror coming out. 
um, you know, uh, Amnesia had kind of reopened that door and it was slowly getting filled in by more and more indie developers. Um, and then, you know, for whatever reason, it just never came out. I think the last time the guy posted was in like 2018, um, saying mm. that, you know, development was still going, quote, quote, of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's like, but that got really, really big because the, the, the marketplace was, was smaller. Like, um, there was more space for an individual game to like, look like really, mm. really good. Yep. Nowadays, like it's, it's my fucking job to know all the indie games that are out there. And even I don't know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I started on Steam like, I don't know, five, six years ago, something like that. Um, And back then I slapped up a couple projects, got got eyes on it by publishers, you know, um, got 10,000, 15,000 players. Um, And nowadays, I think the only way that you could just kind of uh, kind of cold launch a product like that is if you're going to do it for free. That's the only way you could possibly do something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But building up your player base, um, or at least the the interest base, I should say, is equally as much important as developing the product. At this point, it's just so different now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's that's one of the things that uh, you know, we, like, okay, so that's one of the things that New Blood does really well is like building up the audience. Because like I don't, mm-hmm. I, I would be willing to bet that like half the people that like follow New Blood stuff like don't really have that strong of an emotional attachment to Dusk. They're just there for the memes. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> um, even though Dusk is a great game and has sold like a ton of copies and stuff, and you know David is a very talented man, and uh, I'm contractually obligated to never insult him. But uh, <laughs> not that I would. But uh, you know, it's it's one of those. It's yeah. It's like you got to build up this community and you have to be, you have to be like half game designer, half P, your own PR manager, you know? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you kind of think about like the indie studios that have done well in the past five years or so, um, it always comes with a big PR front. Uh, that's just kind of how it goes. Um, uh, if you look at, I don't know, Yacht Club, they've got really excellent branding um, if you look at Vlambeer, literally half the team was Rami, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, that's just, that's just how it is now. Yeah. Know? I mean like, and Devolver kind of positions itself as being, you know, the indie publisher, but it, they also have like $10 trillion or something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Devolver has money in, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's rough. So, you know, that's why, you know, you hope that you can land with something like crowdfunding to get you the money to do your first project so you can make a little bit of money. And then, you know, in 90 years, maybe you can make a bigger game. <laughs> Pretty much, man. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a reason that a lot of people go from AAA to indie, which is that, you know, you make your bones in AAA and then you create this studio that you draw the talent from and, you know, then you can put on your resume from a guy that did the shading on the lights in uh, Bioshock. Right. Mm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, no, no, no shade to uh, throwing no shade at the guy that did the lighting work in Bioshock. That was super great. But uh, <laughs> to be fair, yeah, he, he did good enough work, but that would definitely uh, merit attention. No, yeah, but it's like you know, I, I it's it's the indie the, the the marketplace is getting really really interesting right now because um like. You know the, the 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 without getting into too many numbers, like the Dreadx collection is like selling like pretty decently, uh, especially for like a first time label from like a, an unknown publisher. I mean, we had some big names on the team, but you know it's it's selling you know decently well, and 
it, it's a lot of our focus now on the second one, though, is building that community so that we can like keep having return uh, players and, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I talk to a lot of games that are successful. Like, um, I, I don't want to name any specific names because I don't know if they want me to talking about their financials, but, uh, you know, really successful indie studios. And they're like, oh, yeah. And, like, basically the game came out and for the first three months I thought I was going to have to, like, you know, eat garbage for the rest of my life because, you know, <laughs> because it, it does. It's it's a really weird marketplace. It's not it's not really like, um, you mean, every once in a while you have a game like Yes, Your Grace that makes, like, a million dollars in its first, like, 12 hours or something. But most games, it takes a little while to build uh, the attention. I mean, uh, uh, Faith by, you know, Airdorf. He's mm -hmm. like, no one really knew That's about it game. until a couple streamers picked it up. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was a free well, game. Zero barrier entry. Well, um, I think he kind of hit the nail on the head uh, with the algorithm. Because there's a lot of that at play. It's, um, you know, whether the content that you are putting up on social media or putting up on storefronts is going to be picked up by by the algorithms or not. Um, and of course, you know, other factors put, uh, go in a lot, like when it does get picked up by the algorithms, is it appealing? You know, things like that, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, like, well, like you were saying, Jordan, uh, you know, you hope that you put out a tweet and it goes viral, and sometimes it happens, and a lot of times it doesn't, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. It's just a... It's just a matter of the giant mechanistic algorithm that is the, the internet, you know? I think if you talk to some um, developers, they'll tell you that the tweets that they didn't even expect to blow up were the ones that just took off for some reason. Yeah. Whereas the ones that you actually, like, plan for an hour and you, like, make the perfect GIF and you do all this and that, and then it just flops. <laughs> but I've heard yeah. a lot of stories where, you know, guys will just post something up that's just random. And low effort, and that'll be the one that'll just um, spark. So, yeah, I mean, I, de I definitely can say that from the uh, the publishing standpoint, things like for the uh, the the, what, the work I do on uh, Dread XP with the video game stuff, like we can have seven articles go up in a day, all of equal quality, all that could land, and it's really a dice roll which one does. I mean, we can I I've gotten to the point where I'm like decent enough at figuring out what's going to get clicks that like I can maybe one in every 20 articles gets the big status that I really need it to, to like keep the lights on and keep the, uh, the ad revenue like, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, which is like a pretty good return for like one in one in 20 posts. Cause you know, most websites it's like one in a hundred, but even that it's like, you, you can have basically the same post go up on three different sites. And for some reason it blows up on one and not the other two. And it really doesn't, it's not that much related to, you know, the branding of the site or does this land with this audience? Yeah, a lot of times yeah. it's just, did the algorithm pick it up? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the way, it, that's the way it goes. It's, it's weird, but you know, I will yeah. say is that from a, uh, 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 a, um, uh, a journalism side of things, it makes things nicer because you no longer have to be the first guy to pick up a story. It's like no longer like the dude, like with the, the, Right, the the, the yep. pad and the pen and the the silly reporter hat running into a telephone booth, being like, "I got the scoop. Get me on the line to New York now." And like that's mm. not really how it yeah, works. Yeah. Um, like I can put up an article two days after the news breaks and still get like a lot of traffic on it if the content just lands in a way that the other stories didn't. So it's mm -hmm. uh it's it's an interesting it's interesting trying to figure out how to market things. Is I guess what I'm trying to say. <laughs> It is, yeah. And going back to the PR side of things, I, I think that kind of makes your connections that you know in the industry all the more valuable. Um, I mean, 
I wouldn't be doing video game development uh, full time at all if my brother uh, wasn't part of New Blood. You know, that was my end to getting a job at the company. And um, that kind of kickstarted my ability to work full time. Uh, but otherwise, I'd just be working at the coffee shop I was working at before, and that would kind of be it, you know? Hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But uh, Jordan, so Jordan, you are, are presently a student, though, right? Well, I actually just finished my um my last uh, exam for my history degree. So oh, technically, congratulations! That's awesome. I, I, I don't think there'll be a um, graduation, unfortunately, because right. we can't have uh, public events. But I'm so uh, smart that I decided to try and run a Kickstarter in the middle of my last exam. So that's been really <laughs> fun. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still alive, so. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, here's this is actually a good launching out point to talk about uh, the Kickstarter in because yeah. um, I think that a lot of people uh, want to start their own video games. I guess the purpose of this podcast was always supposed to be like for people that want to get in the industry. This is what it's like. And I kind of like yeah. forgot around like episode 15. So maybe we should <laughs> re remember what the podcast is supposed to be about. So what what's it like launching a Kickstarter? Like what do you have to actually do for it? Well, I mean... I think at first I really underestimated the amount of work that would go into it. Um, even just things like um, creating all the assets for the page, that is time consuming, man. And people don't realize it until you're actually sitting there, you know, making all these different kind of assets for you know, the different categories on the page and even just planning out um, all the social media posts that you're going to have to make for the next month, pretty much. Like I've tried, I've pretty much tried to have most of them planned in advance because when you're in the midst of the campaign, you have people, I mean, look, I'm only two days in, so maybe I'm not the best authority on this, but you start to get people um, just asking a lot of questions, which is fair enough because at the end of the day, you're asking for their money, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, you pretty much get bombarded by questions and um, it's just, it's a month of, um, it's a month of, what would you call it? Like, um, just learning how to to communicate with customers, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It's like a it's like a month uh, preview of what it's going to be like customer when you actually release. Yeah, yeah, a, a yeah month, exactly. Yeah. yeah, a month of PR and community management before. Yeah, you exactly. Even... Which, especially for someone who's like never really like myself, who's never really been involved with that, it's you know, it's kind of like getting thrown in the deep end a bit. But you know, it's it's been fun. Yeah. Hey, no matter what, uh, the experience and um, yeah, the, sure. and the fan base that you are collecting by even yeah, having that's a true, yeah. in the first place, so yeah. valuable. Yeah, I think it yeah, was because, a good idea. Yeah, I've found already in the, in the first two days that um, it's I've already kind of developed a little bit of a community going in the Discord, which has been great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these are the people that are going to be my biggest fans. So, yeah, <laughs> it's good to start collecting them, I guess. Yeah, and you know, one thing about that is community is exponential. The the larger your yeah. community is, the faster it grows, which I think is mm. part of the reason why it's so disheartening to try to get your start on social media and, you know, getting your Discord going because the majority of the growth that you find is as you get bigger, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, ex it's exponential for sure. Yeah, definitely. Especially social media is exponential for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you know, with, uh, with Dylan here, 
you know, he recently reached the 10,000 Twitter followers. Mm, I'd be willing yeah. to bet that like that to get 10,000 to 10,000 was probably easier than it was to get to 1,000. Oh yeah. Yeah. 100%. I'll bet that's totally true. Yeah. 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 I mean, for me, it's, it's been such a crawl really. Um, I'm, I'm at what, like uh, one, I think it's 1,500 Twitter followers or something, which is not much. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, man, I remember like the the, the, uh, the zero to like 200 would have taken me just months, months and months. And you post something and like, you probably get one follower. And yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe two people unfollow you and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> and then you're at negative one and you're like, what the yeah, heck happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't post something that it wasn't that bad when I posted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's... Well, no, I'll I'll tell you what. I've got a different project that I work on with the other Shemansky actually, um, and we've been you know very. It's a side project, but we've been lightly poking at social media since October, and we have like two hundred and fifty followers on that account. And I, I've there's been days where I've gained that on my main account through like one tweet. Yeah. You know, it's so, and it's so totally different when you're starting out, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing that I kind of, you know, with, with the Dread XP side of things, it's like we started as a journalism site and it's like, we were just like, bas- it basically feels like you're shouting into the void. And I remember yeah. like, we got like an attaboy when we got our first thousand followers, like, you know, a month ago. And, mm-hmm. um, but it has been like, I, I've, I've gotten to the point where I no longer look every minute to see if it's gone up or down by one. Mm -hmm. Um, I I mean, I still look to see if it's gone up and down by 10, but like, I I can relate. I I can relate. That's the one thing I do not like about social media is what it does to your, what it does to your um, psyche. Really. You just, you start becoming obsessed with the numbers and it's not healthy. Really. It's really not healthy. If it was up to me, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, even in my personal life, if it was up to me, um, let's just take Facebook for an example. I, I wouldn't have a Facebook page, a personal one, if um, it didn't allow me to, you know, obviously contact people easily. Mm-hmm. Pa- apart from the ease of communication, there's no reason why I would even want a Facebook page. Like, in my perfect world, I would have no pages. <laughs> I'm just not a fan, to be honest with you. But mm-hmm. obviously, when you're trying to market a game and build a community, it's something that you have to kind of learn to appreciate well yeah and it's yeah like, yeah go ahead oh i was just gonna say i totally see you 100 percent. i use twitter solely as as something to communicate with people that yeah. are interested in my games and nothing else i actually um have uh, a lot of people muted not because i don't want to hear from them but just because it's like nope uh it's business only you know yeah yeah uh, yeah i can um, agree with that yeah. i can relate to that and yeah I, it's 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 a little bit different running a company account like I do because, like, I have my own personal Twitter that I never talk about because, like, I don't use it, like, ever. I, I, I don't think I've ever tweeted on it. Um, <laughs> uh, and I – so I just I just kind of have my, my – the company Twitter that I use. Um, but, like, I'm, I'm pretty, like – so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty social media, like – I wouldn't say unsavvy. Like, I'm, I'm decent at making posts, but – like, I don't really care about if people are following me or, like, I'm not the kind of person that, like, likes to put my opinions out there on a daily basis. I'm more of a, like, a go-do-things kind of guy. Like, um, 
we were talking about the uh, we, we the last pod we had uh, uh, the t- the tale of two Davids. It was uh, Sh- David Shemansky and David Jaffe, and we were, mm-hmm. t- we were talking about uh, the the protests and stuff that are going on. And I was saying, you know, like uh, it, the way that I was handling the protests was I was reaching out to my the people in my lives that were affected, and I was like going and delivering water uh, to protest sites because that's kind of like what I do. It would never occur to yeah. me. It just doesn't occur to me to go on Twitter and be like, you know, hashtag BLM. Because, like, I just, like, go and I do the thing. I'm not the social media guy. Um, And a lot of my, uh, like, when I was working for the city of Phoenix, so I was working for the city of Phoenix in uh, heat relief for the the homeless for a good while. Um, And, like, my way of doing that was, like, I would hand out, I would go hand out pamphlets and I would, like, go and, uh, uh, like, get people to come volunteer to do things and like that's my level of like engagement like it's not mm-hmm. like going on twitter to like say like wasn't it so cool that we did this thing and i'm not trying to throw shade or anything it's just like there's different people with like different like kind of how they order their values of like what they yeah. need in the day what kind of output and input they need from other people and it's i will say it is weird as someone who's kind of more of a just kind of work and do things kind of guy to then also have to put on the face of like trying to make sick tweets and memes you know <laughs> right yeah 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 well i mean for me personally you know actions always speak louder than words and i feel like a lot of times social media is just words <laughs> mm-hmm. right. yeah, yeah it definitely can be for sure uh and it's honestly it's an easy trap to fall into too you know it's a it's very therapeutic to express your opinions and um, see how people react to them, uh, but it definitely does not breed like an inherent need to then go follow up on them. Uh, that comes from other places, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I'd say, I will say that I look at um, you know some of the, the 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 tweets that go out from you know various different people, and it's like I I I, I wonder like you get. I see a bunch of people saying, like, uh, I need to get off Twitter because, like, I'm too depressed by all the things I'm seeing. But to me, it's, like, I, I don't, like, view the interactions as, like, that's not where I live, you know? Like, I live in the real world where, I, like, I go do things. And then I, I, I forget sometimes that, like, some people, their net of, like, interaction is Twitter, like, during the day. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that are, like, getting in these, like, Twitter feuds and things like that. And I've never understood that because I'm, like oh, the person said I was a piece of shit? Okay, well, I guess I'm just not talking to them. Like, that's how I handle my problems, you know? Yeah. Mm, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't blocked anyone yet, though. Oh, I blocked, like, spam account bots. Did I, <laughs> did either of you experience this weird wave, like, a month ago, where all of a sudden a bunch of porn bots were, like, trying to DM you? Yeah, I did, I actually. <laughs> Well, like, it wasn't a lot. There was, like, one or two within uh, a couple weeks. It was more than a month ago, though. I'm not sure it, it if it's the same thing. It but. was, like, right after we launched the game, and I was getting a bunch of random DMs, like, in general. And then um, all of a sudden, it was, like, at the same time, I would get, like, four porn bots a day being, like, click here to have your identity stolen. And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> you must have gotten on a list somewhere, you know? I think it was probably that the game was trending or something, and so I was on, like, some kind of trending. Oh, that could be. Yeah, and so I just, like, yeah. the activity for my previous follower account was a high enough percentage that I, like, qualified for porn bot status, so. <laughs> that's, nice. a t- that's an echelon of Twitter notoriety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, the social media thing has been fucking crazy. Though. I mean, that's why we brought on Star to do the community management stuff is to, like, grow the community. And, you know, it's been going really, really well. I mean, we're going to have to keep doing that if we want the, uh, the DreadX collection to keep growing. And I can't imagine, yeah. you know, Jordan trying to do that by yourself. Yeah, yeah I, I mean... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that um, I am working with... Uh, I have... Uh, I call him kind of like a marketing tutor, I guess. His name's Johan from IndieGamesMarketer.com, but he's kind of been helping me um, a bit with that because, yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing, guys. <laughs> so I needed a bit of assistance uh, in that regard, but he's been good. He's kind of helped me, you know, what you should post, when you should post at best times, this and that. He's also been helping with the campaign, so. Yeah, that's really yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah, well, I, and I will say that he is doing his job because he did DM me on, on Twitter to get the uh, the first article posted about the... Yeah, yeah. I was going to do it anyways, yeah. but I was like, oh, here's the press kit. That's much easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, Ted, I'm I'm really excited that uh, you guys are taking the DreadX thing by the horns and really trying to turn it into into a, a community. I, I think... Indie horror specifically kind of has that tenant of always being grassroots by nature. If you think about, yeah. about like Game Jolt and Itch and um, the communities that surround certain YouTubers and, you know, it, it kind of, it falls in line with the people that are interested in indie horror in the first place. So I, I think it's the perfect idea for, uh, you know, indie horror developers to be congregating in one place. Uh, I think there's a, a definite niche there that can be tapped. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, honestly, I was just tired of posting about Silent Hill rumors. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to be well, doing what happens to them, by the way, what happens to them? Wasn't there supposed to be an announcement earlier this month? No, no, there never was. It was just never real. Lies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it never was. He says, so sad. <laughs> here's 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 the thing about what they're talking about with you know all these rumors and stuff, is that. What, the, what happened with the Silent Hill rumors is that they reached out to Konami and Konami said no. And then everyone said, well, is it still happening even though Konami said no? And I said, no, that means no, because if, if Konami didn't have to reply to fucking some website's email, you know, like if, if right. I email Capcom right. and I'm like, is Resident Evil happening before they come out? They're just like not going to reply. They, they don't owe right. me shit. Right. right. And I'm still going to cover it when it comes out. So when they said, no, it's not happening like, that means no, but no one wants to hear that because they're so hopeful yeah, of a new yeah. one. And and then, right. you know, and, and it's it's to the point where, like, I just got so fucking fed up with being, like, some guy on Twitter said he saw the game. That's a news story. Like, I, I had an article that was, like, Norman Reedus mentioned that he's working on something while he was eating hot wings. And, like, that, like, oh, all this traffic. And I'm like, but I don't fucking care about that, personally. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> What I care about is like fucking Conscript. It's a it's a game that looks you know unique and different, and new. I'm like, oh, this is dope, and it's it's got this like retro aesthetic. Like that's what I care about. I feel like there's so many people out there that care about it. But the 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 problem with the horror journalism industry as it is is like you 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 you're incentivized by the competitive nature of journalism to uh, chase the big stories, to chase right. you know, and and there's always mm -hmm. going to be a dedicated batch excuse me the dedicated batch of like silent hill resident evil fans that i swear to god all they fucking do all day is sit online and discuss resident evil theories and it, it, it weirds me out like i don't personally like, like resident evil even has like anything like in terms of story anything worth discussing it, you know <laughs> i've got 
I'm gonna call that, and I'm gonna say Resident <laughs> Evil has one of the best uh, horror stories. I am. I, I such, cannot agree. Such uh, a it's fan. Just, it's so agree. bad, but that's why it's so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I guess. I guess. <laughs> it's, it's stupid as shit, but that's why it's fun. And then there's people that take it like super, super seriously. And like, don't, don't get me wrong, some of these people are my friends, and I'm, I'm not trying to like say that they're idiots or you know bad people or whatever. I'm just saying I don't understand because like it's just not like it doesn't excite me the same way that it seems to excite them. And um, like uh, and and so when when all these rumors come out, and then basically uh, all these message boards just become you know inundated with rumors. My my, my a lot of my motivation for uh, the Discord and, and forming it in the way it was was like, hey, I don't want this to just be a repository for Silent Hill rumors. Like mm-hmm. so many other horror discords are and 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 that's the thing is like i do think that there is uh there's there's people that want to do that and that's totally fucking fine i don't care if someone wants to like debate silent hill rumors all day i I don't care if someone like likes to sniff cats like that's their thing i don't care (laughs) like i don't care what people do with their free time i'm not going to judge them for it but i just it's like there's already communities for that and there's great communities to do that at and we didn't want to be that so we wanted to be something more indie focused Mm -hmm. because that's like that's what excites me yeah, I I have full respect for people that get really in depth with one one thing and you know kind of get the rumor mill going. Um, there's something really there's there's something really ravenous about that. Uh, that's it's just nice that they appreciate something like that. But I totally agree. It's like that's not the communities that I hang out in. Um, I totally just like a place to go talk about indie horror games, whatever happens to be on the top of the game jolt list that day or whatever you happen to be working on, you know, it's, it's nice to have a place to do that. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. The thing is as well, it's like, does anyone really trust that a new Silent Hill is going to be any good? <laughs> I mean, are we forgetting that the last good Silent Hill was what? Silent Hill 4, maybe? 3? Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like, even if one were to be announced, I would just, I would be very skeptical of the person. <laughs> I mean, that's where the debate has gone is from, is it real to do we trust Konami with it? And I'm like, you're you're debating. I think this is this is why I hate I hate people that debate theoreticals that don't have the full picture and are yet like very resolute. Like, okay, Last of Us Two before it came out, everyone was fucking furious about the story, and I was sitting mm-hmm. here like, hey, all stories sound bad taken out of context. You can yeah, take sure. any fucking story and break it down in an unflattering way. So I'm not going to judge the game until it comes out. Yeah. And um. A lot of people told me how wrong I was and how it is guaranteed to be bad because of this and that. And now the reviews are coming out and everyone says it's like perfect and amazing. And I'm like, and I haven't played it yet, so I don't, I still don't have an opinion on it. Uh, mm-hmm. We had an, uh, we actually had a New Zealander uh, 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 review it, which I mean, to me, the the accents are indistinguishable, but I'm sure Jordan over here can tell the difference. <laughs> Jordan just giggles. <laughs> He's like, these Americans. <laughs> Me, it's all the same. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I um, what was I saying about that? Something stupid. My points are never good. Uh, what what was I saying about it? I'm sorry. Something. Oh, Silent Hill rumors. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like people are debating these things that they don't have full context of yet. Because it's like the hot button thing to debate at the time, and it's yeah. like I don't, yeah. I don't really see the appeal or the merit in that because, like, I, I'm the kind of guy that doesn't like to like throw out my opinion unless I've done the research, played the thing. Like, it's it's kind of crazy because I actually play the games that I review, 
Um, I don't play the games necessarily that I'm going to do, you know, podcasts on because fuck that. Podcasts are bullshit. Um, they're for uninformed opinions. So I'm going to go in as half-cocked as possible. This is an oddity that I actually played the Conscript demo before this. Um, right. No, but, like, I, I like to go into... Th- there's certain things you can go into, like, okay, so if if, if I'm going to do an interview about the newest Call of Duty, uh, which I used to cover Call of Duty stuff because of the zombies, like... If I didn't play Black Ops 3, can I go into the Black Ops 4 press room and ask questions? Yeah, it's fucking Call of Duty, you know? Yeah. But, right, I, right, right. But I'm also not going to pretend like, hey, uh, you in this trailer, uh, I noticed that the, 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 the aim sensitivity was 0.2 decibels different. Is that going to ruin the... It's like, uh, who knows? I haven't fucking played the game, you know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, my, my, uh, my, uh, my girlfriend sent me this video about two weeks ago that was why the last of us two is going to set back the transgender movement by 20 years. And I was like, what in the fuck? The game hasn't come out yet. And the guy was like very resolutely saying like, there's no way that the story can be good. There's no way that these characters can be portrayed positively. And I was like, this clickbait motherfucker is just like sitting here. And I was just like, this is so fucking dumb and I, I will i will clarify that she was sending it to me not because she agreed with him but because she was like look at this silly shit <laughs> yeah, no, you, yeah you're right like it's a game guys you have to play it <laughs> you have to play it for yourself and then start making then start forming your opinions you know yeah because you're right and anything can sound bad on paper but yeah that is so true yeah yeah i mean like mm-hmm. even something that is as, as objectively good as oh, I'm just gonna pull a random indie, like a, like conscript, uh, objectively perfect, <laughs> no issues with it. But I could like figure out a way to like portray it badly, being like, uh, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, they deliberately obscure your screen and make you run through gas, which deals damage over time, yeah, so you can't explore yeah. in an exploration game. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, the rifle, why does it take three shots to? Sh- That's actually something you should fix. The rifle should be a little bit smaller. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is. That is... That is something um, that is on my patch list. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but we uh, kind of got I, I like. Had... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jordan. I was gonna say I had um, <laughs> I had someone. So the demo has been downloaded thousands of times. And I've had one person say that they found a bug where the corpses were randomly reanimating, and I've never seen this in my life. <laughs> None of my alpha testers ever saw this, and this guy's telling me that. The corpses were reanimating in front of him. I said, "Are you sure you didn't like exit a room and come back? Because sometimes after scripted things, you know, rooms will repopulate." Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "No, right in front of me. They just came back to life." So, like, well, how much? How am I supposed to fix that? <laughs> one person found it. Anyway. <laughs> oh, let me let me tell you guys about bugs. I uh, quite the opposite problem. I work on a game that is objectively bad, but we love it anyway. Um, which maybe Ted, have you played much of Maximum Action? I have played Maximum Action. Yeah, it's janky as heck, but that's what makes it so special to us, you know. Right. Um, but some of the bugs that we've encountered working on Maximum Action have just like gone above and beyond any other bug I've I, I've seen in any other games. Um, like you know, there's some simple, uh, more simple stuff like you know, you spawn in a level and none of the enemies have weapons. Um, and then there, there was things earlier on where it's like, hey, randomly, there's a chance that you're going to get teleported to um, the integer range, uh, which is like, you know, several billion units mm-hmm. out into the distance. Or um, what are some of the other ones? Uh, we, we've had issues where enemies will just kind of <laughs> spaghetti all over the place, seemingly at <laughs> random. 
Um, it's a feature. Pretty much. Pretty much you name it, we've had an issue with it. We actually just ran into an issue recently that stopped development for like three days, where suddenly the game just stopped importing models, um, and we didn't know why, uh, and it took us like three days to find an answer around it. It's been quite a ride, but it's it's a new adventure every day when you go in the code base. I mean, at that oh, yeah. point, you that's, just gotta that's like... Uh, that's that point. Instead of fixing the bug, you just gotta like be able to flag the bug when it activates, so that you can just like have a prompt that comes up and be like, "Secret, no gun mode activated," or like, "Secret spaghetti arm mode activated." You laugh, you laugh. We've done that. There's been times when QA has been like, "Yo, we found out that you can glitch through this wall. You should probably put a secret there." <laughs> <laughs> that's a great way to do it. Uh, did you know that if you kick repeatedly, you can fly? Yes! Oh, Ted, there was a bug that we had. Okay, name any mechanic in the game. I will tell you about a bug. I'm not even kidding. There was a bug that we had with kicking where that you could dive kick off of yourself. And so if you just <laughs> tapped kick a whole bunch, and also kick like gets incrementally faster for some reason as you do it more. And uh, we have no idea why this happens. So you could eventually get to the point where you're going like, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles an hour straight up into the air because your character was di dive kicking off with his own abdomen. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you, know, you know what causes that? I actually do know. Um, you're leveling up your skill. That's why it goes faster. Oh, of course. Right, yeah. the RPG elements. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like yeah. Skyrim or something. <laughs> okay, so um, my, my best friend in the whole wide world, a man named uh, Travis, this guy grew up with me. He's a great, great friend of mine. Uh, he, he said one of the most profoundly stupid things ever once, which was, um, uh, we, it, this is after Oblivion had come out. And mm -hmm. uh, he was like, you know, we were jumping and like slapping a ceiling or something as kids do. And he goes, man... I wish that I could just like do this over and over again and get better at it, like in like an oblivion. And I was like, Travis, that's how people get better at things. And I was like, Oh my god! <laughs> like, just hit him. Was it, it? It was Morrowind where you got extra agility from uh, to extra skill to your agility from just jumping, right? Uh, that was also in uh, Oblivion. You can there was What's the, that? Yeah, the acrobatic skill. Yeah, I for the short time that I played through Marwin, I just kind of went around and stole all the stuff from the shops and then kind of got bored after that, because um, that's what I do in open-world RPGs. Um, but in the short time I played, I don't think I ever stopped jumping, because I just wanted my agility as high as possible. Okay, can we can we just talk about how Morrowind is overrated for a second, so that we can all get cancelled real quick? I've never quick? played it. I can't comment. <laughs> I, you know, Ted, I enjoyed what I played of Morrowind. I enjoyed what I played of Fallout New Vegas. I enjoyed what I played of Fallout 3. This is an opinion that you can keep for yourself. I, I think that uh, people tend to fetishize retro game design without thinking about how it can be best implemented into new games, yeah. which mm -hmm. is something that I think that, especially in the indie sphere, like we have to like be aware of because, yeah, um, that's true. Okay. So is everyone aware of the debate that Resident Evil seven is actually bad because it's in first person? Okay. I oh, yeah. do. I, I think it's my least favorite Resident Evil game. I really oh. do. Okay. Uh, right. I, I disagree with you. Uh, I, I think that uh, Resident Evil 7... So, so people will say like Resident Evil 7 isn't a Resident Evil game because it doesn't have uh, fixed camera angles. And I'm like, well, then most Resident Evil games aren't Resident yeah, Evil that's, games. Yeah, that's, like that's, that's a silly argument. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Resident Evil 4 is still like one of the best, and that doesn't, you know? And, and let me say, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that you have to like Resident Evil 7. That's not what I'm, I'm trying to get at here. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a big debate within the hardcore gamer community, which I don't know why anyone ever appeals to hardcore gamers. They're the worst people on the planet. But uh, 
they they that have this this debate that like only the classic mechanics are good. I want a game that's exactly like these classic games. And it's 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 but the, a lot of those mechanics you have to remember that when those games came out they were they were criticized for those mechanics. There's a reason that they evolved mm-hmm. away from that. And if you were to just copy paste implement those mechanics into a modern game, people would be like, well, this kind of sucks. And you might have like twelve people that are like super stoked on it, but the, the market is small enough that it's it's hard to make that kind of profitable. So you have to you have to figure out how to um, tr- to to kind of transfer those mechanics, but also update them and make them more kind of fluid. I'm, I'm, does, do you get what I mean by that? Oh, oh yeah, I, I totally see what you're saying. Um, it's actually kind of interesting that you use Resident Evil as, you know, as a, a litmus test for this idea, because I think that's that's totally on point, especially being that Resident Evil has evolved so much from where it was originally. But I will also say there are some design philosophies that lend themselves very well to certain games, and it does suffer if you take them out. Um, fixed camera. I, I do enjoy the fixed camera. I also enjoy the Resident Evil games that don't have fixed camera. Um, I also enjoy the rail shooter Resident Evil games, by the way. Oh, in Dark Side um, Chronicle? Yeah. Yeah, well, Umbrella, Umbrella Chronicles particularly. I absolutely oh, really? adore that huh. game. Yeah, yeah it's super fun. Um, yeah, no, super fun game. But... Um, like the original Resident Evil worked, it, it had to have a fixed camera. Like that was necessary for what they were trying to do. Um, but it was kind of like a design decision that ended up working really well to the feeling of being helpless. Um, hmm. Because it, you know you weren't able to do this and that. You couldn't really dodge around people really well. And that it, it's like this kinesthetic feedback that the player gets that's really important to the game being impactful in a way. <laughs> Um, and if, and you can implement that in other ways, obviously, and other people have implemented it in other ways, but you can't deny that, like, the base design motif does function with what the game was trying to do, and that's kind of what makes it special in yeah, that sort of way. Yeah, yeah, but the, the, the impetus of the design wasn't, we should have a fixed camera because that's so cool. It was like, hey, this is how we can render these portions of the screen, and then, okay, let's mm-hmm. evolve from that, and, like, you, cre- it, it, it had a, a, a mission statement of being scary, and it used the limitations of the time to make the most scary game that they could with mm-hmm. those mechanics, um, and then, you know, you can see that shift in design philosophy, especially with Resident Evil 4, which they were like, why don't we make it, like, more action-y, and then they're like, suplexes and wheel kicks, woo! Like, that's like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't fit in but, with, yeah. I mean, even Resident Evil 4 kept the same design tenets of, like, constricting your movement. And even though it was a lot more of an action-focused game, the fact that you can't strafe, um, the fact that, you, uh, I mean, in the original releases, you didn't have a uh, cursor, you you only had your, um, your laser pointer right. and stuff like that. You know, it all functions back into that design loop of <clears throat> making the player have to um, have to worry about their gameplay a little bit. But there was a definite unilateral shift in the design theory away from strict horror to action horror. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. totally agree. And I would argue that happened in the second game. In the first and the second. Definitely to a degree, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it certainly was in the third for sure. Yeah, yeah. But, and and, and I think that um, when people are talking about when they, they want a specific mechanic, what they really want is that old school feel. And it's not as simple as just one for one transferring it. Um, yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. It was, uh, no, I think, 
Uh, I, uh, I think you're totally on point with that. I think that it's a an artful and nuanced process to update old design philosophies. Like, for instance, um, I think that uh, first-person point-and-clicks are this wonderful genre that, you know, kind of fell to the dusts of time at some point. And I think that there's a room for finding what the stopgaps uh, in that sort of genre uh, are and bringing it um, to this this new audience. I mean, Myst was the best-selling PC game for like 28 months in a row. It was so popular. There's there's something special about that that's obviously been constricted by updated design philosophies and people um, having more games to choose from and stuff. You know, there's got to be some way of being able to transfer that, you know? Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. So, uh, uh, Jordan, what what kind of I mean, you have this game that's very old school in in design, mm-hmm. you know, with the camera and then the inventory system and the uh, uh, I guess it's old school because of the setting, which is nineteen seventeen. Yeah, <laughs> it's very old school. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, what what kind of way did you go about updating some of these classic mechanics and keeping some of the old ones? Like, how did you go about all that? Hmm. Well, to, to be honest, um, early in development, when, when I first kind of started game dev, which I, I had no previous background at all, I just jumped straight into it one day and just decided to start, which I would probably wouldn't advise doing, but that's what I did. And <laughs> my original vision was to basically replicate the old school Resident Evil games, but in World War One setting. But, um, you know having no development experience whatsoever, you can't really just jump straight into 3D. So <laughs> I just decided to kind of make it a 2D rendition of that. But Interesting, yeah. I find that the... It's kind of... You know, it's, 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 been, it's been good because the 2D perspective kind of alleviates some of those control issues, I guess. Of the, well, I don't perceive them as issues, but... People don't really like tank control anymore. Mm-hmm. 2D top-down perspective kind of alleviates that because it's a bit more intuitive because you're just, you know, moving in whatever direction the, you want to, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's one example. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I, one of the things I noticed about the game is that it's not... Um, like, the combat is... It's it's not super clunky. Like, you can... There's definitely room to, like, fire and then move and then fire again and yeah, then yeah. move. Um, There's definitely is... room for improvement um, with the combat, especially the you know um, combat with the club and the melee yeah. weapons. But I, I will say that there's a certain satisfying. Uh, there's this. What I really liked about the design of Conscript, I think probably the best feature, is um, the the kind of the, the the tactile reload on the shotgun and the rifle. Um, yeah, I'm glad you feel that way. Yeah, yeah. because it's like. If you fire the shotgun, you can get a guy in one shot with it. If if it's like mm. he was real close and you get the correct angle and stuff, and that's really satisfying. But if you don't, and he's still coming at you. You actually like the the chunk to reload the shotgun takes a minute. Like it takes a second. Yeah, yeah. And so that was um, inspired by Red Dead Two, really, because that game has a similar kind of mechanic. But I just kind of felt that that would work well in survival horror because um, in most games, guns are so automated. You know, the character automatically pumps a shotgun or automatically um, ejects the shell. So I just felt like that'd kind of be a cool thing to implement because, yeah, if you miss the shot, you'd have to use that extra second to quickly, you know, 
And it fits yeah. within the, the theme of, you know, the World War One yeah. style of like kind of clunkier weapons. And yeah. I, I definitely think you should play with that more as the game. Unfortunately, I didn't donate it the $2,000 tier to be able to design my own. <laughs> <laughs> <Same> on you. <laughs> That's, Ted, is that what this whole podcast is about? You just like <laughs> want to make design decisions for Conscript, but you don't want to pay 2000 bucks. <laughs> uh, if, if I'm going to be giving uh, Jordan over here uh, a large sum of money in the future, it'll be through the, the form of a, of a publishing deal. So that'll, that'll probably be a larger chunk of money than 2000 anyways i just don't want to spend 2000 of my money i will happily spend uh you know twenty thousand dollars of uh, our benevolent benefactors monies uh not my own uh but you know it was like uh when i was playing conscript and like i, I really liked how the shotgun if you want to pump it you actually have to like stand still for a second whereas the rifle you can kind of do like a quicker kind of pop with it but you still have to kind of like be moving and running away and then you can yep. quick pop it and i was like this just feels really good. I just need the rifle to do more damage. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. That's yeah, noted. I've got that noted. Yeah. Um, I think also said that the shotgun's a bit underpowered, so I might have to, you know, up that as well. The shotgun is. I, I would be. I would be wary of uh, upgrading the shotgun because people are so used to shotguns being. Uh, you know, mid-range effective weapons. I will say that it is yeah. really maybe a little bit less of a spread needed to one-shot the enemy, but I really like how mm -hmm. it is right now, where basically if the barrel is in their mouth, it will one-shot them. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh, well, these are all easy fixes, luckily, so yeah. these are all things that I can play with easily. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool to see an indie game. So how long have you been working on it? It's been... Let's see. Well, I'll say that I first started game dev in March of... 2017 i'm hesitant to say that's when i started conscript because the first six months was just me just <laughs> learning and and making really really bad um well interesting interestingly enough the same hopefully this makes sense but the same the same project file that i ever started to learn game dev on is technically the same project file that conscript is on now does that make Ooh, sense that's so, interesting that's, yeah. i know that no one um no one no one uh, would I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that person if anyone to do that. <laughs> but I know that you know, everyone says the kind of conventional um, wisdom is to make small games until you can you know keep increasing the size of the project. I I never did that. I've I've never actually made a game outside of Conscript, not even mm -hmm. like Pong or something. So that's kind of interesting, I guess. Mm -hmm. That is really interesting, Jordan. I actually have come from kind of the the other place where I, I started by making a whole bunch of smaller things. Um, mm. Of course, a lot of that was I was a 15-year-old in my bedroom who was just kind of interested in tooling around with GameMaker, actually, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, uh, and then there was a point at which I guess I started focusing on trying to do larger things. Um, but I really respect people that have a vision for a project and stick with it until it the project matches the vision. You know, there's there's yeah, yeah. something to be said for that for sure. Yeah, and I will say will say that the, the vision. I don't even know what the vision was at first. <laughs> it, it, it definitely wasn't uh, kind of as uh, succinct as it is now because yeah. I'm kind of lucky that how the game is now. It's got a pretty kind of a pretty marketable um, pitch. I mean, it's 2D World War One style horror. That's basically it. But mm -hmm. at first, I don't even know what the game was going to be. I, I knew at the time I was 
in a survival horror phase where I was just playing everything. I think that was the first time I'd actually played the Silent Hill series for the first time. So I was inspired and motivated to make a survival horror game. And um, I just didn't know, I had no real direction at all. <laughs> didn't mm -hmm. know what I was doing. I think one of, if you look on my uh, itch page, I've got what, so Conscript used to be called Project Able, right? This was probably like 2018. Mm -hmm. And that game, the, the 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 kind of idea about that game was <laughs> so stupid i can't even believe you would have kind of a hub world a hub uh it was a university so there was a hub world which was a university and it was still survival horror like kind of mansion resident Evil one mansion style and basically you would go into different uh rooms and it would be like there would be paintings of like a bad a really horrific part of history right this is like so stupid you'd go into the painting and then you would go into say like a trench level right uh-huh yeah then, like the super mario 64 of, i was just like, thinking really horrible that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this, this, this sounds like the best horror game ever keep going and then you would you know go back into the the man the university sorry, university and you would unlock a new area and then you would find a painting of like something really horrific like a concentration camp or something something really bad and then you would go into that kind of level and explore the, the, the terrible history of that specific. Obviously, this is completely out of scope for a first project, first of all. Yeah. So I don't know why. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I even thought that was reasonable, but eventually I it's, just kind of settled on the uh, World of One theme. And yeah. It's so hard to know. Um, I mean, even uh, now doing game development for upwards of nine or 10 years, I still have trouble gauging project length and project scope it's so yeah. hard to know you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. especially for your first time it's you have Definitely. no idea you have no yeah. idea how long you can take <laughs> yeah. I, I will say that probably uh i i have basically no game design skills i tell the programmers what i want i'm i'm uh the hideo kojima of my company <laughs> uh the Is your name like every five seconds yeah well um but i will say my mm. one actual skill is being able to, to to figure out the scope of a project and deliver on it in a reasonable time frame. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. no, that, that, that's the most important skill, really. <laughs> at the end of the day. Oh, and that's that's um actually you know uh, for this first project, the first Stratex collection that we did, like like I've said before, you know we we came up with the idea in uh you know end of May, like the last week of May, we started production middle of April, and the game launched in uh. Sorry, we, we had the idea at the end of March. I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't go back in time. We're not that good. Uh, but we, we started production in April, and it launched May 25th. I mean, like, who comes out with a game in, like, you know, two months? It's yeah. actually, like, a polished game that can be sold. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, we had to make a lot of cuts in terms of... Because the first game, the launcher, is this mirror that you click on. Uh, we originally wanted that to be, like, a bunch of paintings, like your idea was, which is funny. And mm -hmm. and then you kind of go into the painting Super Mario 64 yeah. style for the different the different games. And um, basically that conversation ended when I was like, okay, and then I want this, this, and this, and what's the budget for all that going to be? And they were like, uh, twice your current production budget. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's yeah. figure something else out. <laughs> Luckily, we have a bigger production budget this time, and um, we have James Rag uh, working on the launcher. And actually... Uh, uh, you know, John over here has seen a couple of the the launcher assets so far, and it's I have. Really, it's looking really cool. 
Yeah, I am actually super psyched about the launch. Yeah, okay. I totally love those sort of like diegetic pieces that are like this encapsulated. Um, here's the place that you do the things, and it, the launcher is totally that. It's like this this really cool little detailed space that you get to launch the games from and solve some puzzles. It's super neat. Yeah. I like it a lot. I, I'm pretty excited for people to be able to get their hands on it because that was the one yeah. thing I thought we needed to really improve from the first one was the uh, the launcher. Um, but I, I get what you're what you're you're saying, Jordan, is that like you know you have this idea of the scope of like this thing you want to do. And wouldn't it be really cool? Wouldn't it be really cool? Wouldn't it be really cool? And then you have to like kind of parse it down, but try to you actually have to do it. You realize how long these things take, man. It's yeah, <laughs> I'll say it's been really interesting. I've done a couple game jams in the past, and theoretically, I'm part of a game jam now. Um, a certain <laughs> game jam, um, but. Uh, it's been really interesting approaching design, you know, looking at like a seven or 10 or 12 day project or whatever, um, and starting with a concept and then whittling it down and then whittling it down further and keeping whittling it. Well, what's really fascinating about it is not only does it, you know, help your scope, but it also improves like the tightness of what you're what your narrative idea is because suddenly yeah. when you when you whittle things down it's like ah yes this is a detail that's important and i need to keep that so that yeah. needs to be factored into my scope time and once you know what details are important then it's like oh i kind of understand what the narrative idea is about this project right. you know I, I'm, I understand what i'm trying to get across i understand what the important moments are going to be um it's actually this incredibly useful process i i wouldn't uh, I wouldn't say that it would be unuseful for larger scale projects as well to do the same sort of thing, mm. you know? Well, I, I've thought for a long time that the problem with game development was one of like workflow and streamline of the process because, you know, that's actually really, really the idea for the JX collection came from was like, okay, what if we give talented developers some money to do game jam style uh, development cycles? And it's like, so over here, you know, you're making, you're making conscript, but you know, I would say that you said you've been working on it since like 2018, right? Or yeah, two, three three years, I'd say. About three years, yeah. But and, and if you were to look back on all those things that you've done and look at the product that you have now and look back on that and had to redo it, you could probably do it in a fraction of the time. Oh, easily, easily. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and that's that's the thing is that a lot of the reason that things kind of meander, well, not meander, take a long time is is exactly that they meander like projects meander it's like okay so yep. more features and then oh i decided to scrap this entire section of the game and then this one thing wasn't working that i really was my stretch goal and yep. then i decided to scrap the rest of the game because i really want that stretch goal so let's just focus mm -hmm. on the stretch goal for now oh no it doesn't work with the rest of the game um and then you know things like that happen and i've always felt like like the thing that publishers should do is present reasonable expectations for developers and then give them, you know, good support to reach those reasonable expectations, not just like give people free reign to do whatever. I mean, I, I give, I give uh, uh, all of my uh, team members, you know, I, I say do what you want, but it has to be delivered on these dates. And so do something that's reasonable within that time frame. And, um, but, you know, and I, I think that a lot of the reason, like, you know, a game like, um, you know what game is star citizen that game will never come out <laughs> right yeah because there's no one saying like hey you know you got to actually like deliver on this at this date and all this stuff and those reasonable but i also feel like a lot of times publishers don't do that they, they like they don't provide that reasonable service of like hey let's let's hit these goals in these times so that's what we're trying to do different with the dread x collection is like 
basically to have more of a guiding light for indie people in the industry so that they don't spend you know five years on the next game because i know a lot of indie mm-hmm. creators that have a really good idea that they've just failed to execute on for like you know half a decade mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i think it's a really good idea and honestly ted it's like it's there is so few opportunities within the indie sphere in which you are able to express yourself and also get paid um <laughs> like yeah. like you know you're going to get paid uh, so it's it's almost like, uh, in a way, a little trailblazer for that sort of ideology, you know? I, I just want to be the devolver of indie horror and then get boat rich. And I want instead... <laughs> so, you know, have you guys been to E3? No, never. You know, I haven't, actually. Okay, well, first off, you need to make Dave take you. That'd be fun. Uh, but, we, but, like, okay, so devolver digital always has a lot at E3. Because getting onto the E3 show floor is, like, a trillion dollars. And, like, who the fuck has that money? Mm-hmm. Um and and so what devolver does is they rent a parking lot because it's cheaper for them to rent the parking lot for those like six days uh because you also have like the setup and the teardown days and stuff um mm-hmm. it's easier for them to rent the parking lot for that six days bring in food trucks bring in trailers that are cooled like set up it's it, open bar it's it's free beer and food the whole time it's and, and then just set it up and then run it that way than it is for them to get a show floor space holy so crap that's crazy <laughs> when, when, when we get rich what i'm going to do is the same thing a different parking lot but i just have my boat there and then we showcase <laughs> all of the games on my massive yacht and we'll, uh-huh. yeah we can just have the e3 boat party <laughs> that would make headlines like for sure yeah, that's that is uh, a great idea, Ted. I'm totally behind you. <laughs> hey, Devolver Digital can make money off of the backs of indie creators, and so can I. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, um, but yeah, I was just you know saying is that uh, you know with the the Kickstarter, basically the uh, uh, the benefit of of kickstarting a project that already has like a bit of meat to it is that like you can actually realistically say like okay for twenty thousand dollars I know what I'm going to do like you're not coming yeah. in with concept art and a dream you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and you see that a lot because for months now I've been obviously because I wanted to do my own I had to research what was going on Kickstarter for months now and yeah you just see some projects that are just way too early way too early mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. well i think that people are tired of those early projects i mean you look at something like little devil inside which is basically just a bunch of cutesy concept art made its kickstarter and then it was it's been it was supposed to come out in 2016 and it just got announced as a ps5 exclusive <laughs> like, <laughs> so they they got the money they had no idea how long it would actually take they ran out of money and then sony said here's some money to put it on our console that's exactly yeah. what happened yeah and um and frankly, there's nothing that really um, people that back the game can do about it. Right, yeah. So I think... Yeah, that people... that's, that's the one really interesting thing about um, kickstarting and crowdfunding in general is although there is expectation, you know, your reputation is at stake, that's kind of all. If you take the money and run, there's not really too much that people can really do about it. So you really have to you know, be accountable to the people that support you. Uh, it's just kind of an ethical duty in a way, you know? Yeah, I mean, or you could not. And, like, there's nothing, and you can just be a thief. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing stopping you. So yeah. it's up to the consumer to be a little bit more, you know, cautious of what they're deciding to back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if, if I had no desire to actually make video games, I could just do a Kickstarter for an open-world survival crafting horror game, make my, my <laughs> cool hundred grand, and then just book. <laughs> 
Yeah. Is that your plan, Ted? Is no. that going to be tomorrow? <laughs> I actually, I actually deliver on the games. That's that's the weird thing is that like in the in the industry that you know I'm working in is like people are like super surprised. I like pay on time and like actually get things out when I say I will. And I'm like, uh, that's I don't know. That's just kind of how I work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was it, like people like when they got the, when I did the first collection. Um, so I pay up front for the the time that developers are going to be putting into the game. And they were, like, shocked that they were getting paid on time. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> well, it is actually pretty abnormal, to be fair. Yeah, uh, yeah getting paid on t- I mean, even when you're um, getting paid from online retailers and stuff, it's not abnormal to get paid, like, two or three months after the fact, you know? Yeah. Well, at least for the upfront cost. I mean, of course, the, the back-end points are going to be recouped during, like, you know, fiscal periods and stuff. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's been an interesting... Uh, experience going from journalist to uh, to publisher and producer and actually designing myself, which is weird, but uh, you know, and I'm still doing the journalism thing. Like that's what we're technically doing right now is my other job. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be fair though; it kind of feeds into itself in a way because as people are interested in the DreadX collection, suddenly they're more interested in what DreadXP is going to be writing about. You I know? mean, yeah, and that's actually you know we we've completely changed the. Well, completely we've recently changed the site ethos to be from being to being even more heavily focused on indie stuff so Mm -hmm. um and i I feel like that's kind of you know where our niche is going to be but also positive like because there's so many horror communities out there that are just like negative like overtly negative super critical of everything all the resident evils are Mm -hmm. shit yeah uh the only thing that's ever been good is like you know, some game on the Dreamcast that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> it's uh, that was the pinnacle. We've there's nothing good ever since, and uh, they just like kind of tear each other down. It's really shitty because I know a lot of people that are horror creators that have left the horror space. Um, usually, a lot of actors and stuff that leave the horror space because they they, they get so tired of the fan toxicity. Because you know, every, everything that comes out is shit. It's never as good as the old stuff, and it takes 20 years for people to look back and go, no, that was actually a classic. And then, because the people that right. uh, have were whining about it before, now it's part of the lexicon and the canon, and they can they can now compliment it. And it's it's just so fucking horrible, because it's, it's super alienating to casual, not casual, but like, even like pretty intense gamers that just aren't so intense that they feel like shouting at people online all the time. So we're trying mm-hmm. to create a positive space to talk about indie stuff. And we're actually, you know, we've pretty much dropped, um, like, so we've dropped review scores. We don't do scores anymore. It's just reviews. Uh, we've dropped critical art, like crit- hot critical takes. Um, unless it's mm-hmm. about like, Hey, the new resident evil, like needs an exit button, which is an article I wrote about. Um, because it didn't, it didn't have one in the demo, and I was like, Capcom, you can afford that. Uh, <laughs> well, you couldn't exit the game. Uh, the demo, yeah, for the Resident Evil Three demo, they they didn't have an exit button. And I was like, that's an oversight. Um, <laughs> and then a bunch of fans like fucking wrapped my throat, being like, "You pedantic piece of shit! This game's gonna be fucking amazing!" And then the game came uh, out. It was like twelve minutes that's, long. That's a fair criticism. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I'm, I'm aware that I'm smart. Um, they're not, but uh, they're like. They, and then the game came out. and It was like twelve minutes long, and they're then they all shut up. Um, yeah. But uh, the, the 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 positive community is what I really you know want to promote because I feel like so many developers. It, it can be terrifying getting into the horror space and you get this, like, you get this weird amount of negativity and toxicity and hostility. And then you're looking at your fans and they're all, like, happy and stuff. But then there's, like, these random, 
people that like and, and so to expand the the positive network to be more places where people are happy and then discovering you and it's not just your hardcore base but you actually have like other audiences that you can reach out to and say hey come check this out and it's it's a, in a yeah, positive way i think is really useful to developers yeah for sure 100 mm -hmm. i would yeah. say so i think um camaraderie and positivity is just so helpful in the indie sphere especially because it's you know it's a pretty small community uh, mm -hmm. in relations to other communities so why wouldn't you want to be making good impressions and you know what i mean yeah i mean it's hard it's hard not to fall into that pit of toxicity though it's super easy to just like call people out and tell them that they're shit and it gives you a validation too because you're like aha i got to finally tell that other developer that makes more money than me why they're worse than me haha yeah but i i totally totally understand it's so easy to be critical uh, it really is but it's i think it's really good uh, that you've got the focus to try to not you know I, yeah. I think that's worth noting for sure at least we're trying um yeah so uh jordan over here uh what when where can people find this uh this kickstarter sure so yeah on on kickstarter conscript should be in there somewhere it has <laughs> i haven't been lucky with the um kickstarter algorithms it'll be buried down there somewhere but you'll be able to find it or it's, you know uh, you can click the link in the description for this podcast of course Yes, you can also do that. <laughs> or uh, follow me on Twitter, Conscript Game. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know. And... I just we're, we're approaching a, an hour and a half here, and I want to try to yeah, keep this sure. a little bit short. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Kyle, do you have any? Uh, Kyle, John, sorry, you, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> Kyle's the famous one because uh, Kyle was famous. That's that's your game. Kyle um, is famous. famous. Yeah, Kyle is famous. Uh -huh. uh, so, uh, do you have any questions? Do I have any questions? Ooh, any, any interesting kind of final questions. questions, yeah. Um, yeah, Ted, what what's your favorite Pokemon? And can I guess what the answer is? Sure. Is it Wigglytuff? It's not. It is. Ah! <laughs> I thought I had to, for sure. This is whole it... time I've been sitting here looking at Wigglytuff on your shirt. Well, it's it's a Jigglybuff. What? Oh! oh <laughs> it's a Jigglypuff with a six-pack. <laughs> hey, do you want to know something? I'm actually working on a Pokemon-esque sort of... Well, it's not really... It's a mon mon inspired RPG, um, uh, some sorts, and that's something that if uh, if you are interested in those sort of deals, uh, you can totally check out. Um, or a also um, the Kyla's famous guy, or also the Maximum Action guy. All of those things work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my favorite Pokemon though is Pinsir, uh, and that's an old school. Gen 1 Pokemon, and I liked him because he learned the guillotine attack, which could kill your opponent in one hit, and I thought that was so cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dude, I always like Pinsir, too. That's a good, that's cool. a good one. Um, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, no, I really appreciate it, yeah. Thanks for uh, backing as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. I, I did the uh, 18, 18 buck backing, which everyone should do. Uh, if you much, got appreciated, all those, much appreciated. If you sold through all those $18 backings, you could... Uh, yeah. Fund the game kind of, wait, how much would all those be totally? Yeah, that'd be about about what you need. So um yeah. you know, everyone listening at home, uh Conscript is a you you don't have to believe us that it's a cool game. There's the demo's play live it. on Steam right now. Demo's out. Yep, play it. Demo's out right now, you can go play it. Um woo, woo, woo. and you know, we're we're gonna be trying trying to keep with this format in the future of uh, you know, a couple developers because I, I really like this kind of the back and forth style. So Keep, keep, keep tuning back in if you want to hear more of that. Um, and, you know, once again, John, thank you for joining me today. 
Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, if you want to hear more from John soon, then just keep, stay tuned uh, for secret projects that might be being worked on. I don't, <laughs> we might have announced it by the time this podcast goes out, which will feel real fucking weird. Um, <laughs> no, it's still secret in my heart. It's ben. still secret <laughs> right now. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, if you want to join in in the conversation, you can come on over to the Dread XP Discord. Uh, and how do people find that? How do you find new servers on Discord? I think it's just yeah, it's just the Dread XP Discord. So search for it, whatever. Uh, server boost. I'm trying to look at the server settings to see how people would join it. I'll put it in. Yeah, the, uh, if you're part nerds, you get your own link. I know that. Uh, that's crazy. I'll, I'll put it. I'll put a link in the uh, uh, in the description. So join us on Discord if you want to hang out with any of these awesome devs. I know Jordan right here is also in the Discord, so uh, mm-hmm. you know you can come and ask him about Conscript or join his Conscript Discord. Join all the Discords, yeah. whatever. What else are you doing yep. with your life? Ooh. Uh, and then give some money to the, the Conscript Kickstarter because it's definitely worth it and I want to see what he does with all that cash. But uh, yeah. guys, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of Real Professional uh, and uh, I am your host, Ted, and I will see you all soon. Oh, well, it's really quite funny. I was, I was in bed sleeping at uh, 2 o'clock this morning and my wife comes in and says, oh, the shop's been... Uh, someone ran into the shop and I said, oh, what? So I jumped out of bed and all I had was my undies on and I walked out the front and I seen uh, the car smashed and I seen the bloke walking back to the car and so I walked outside and I said, oh, what are you doing, mate? And like, you can't be leaving the scene. And he goes, don't be a hero, mate. And I said, I'm not trying to be a hero, but the police are coming. And he just decided he'd scoot up the road and I just said, nah, it's not going on like that, mate. So I jumped in the car and I started chasing him up the road and then he went down the side street and then the police were coming and I flashed him and sent them off in the direction of him. But mate, all I had was me jocks on. I was chasing him up the street and I was just like, mate, all I had was me jocks on. And I'm just like, mate, all I had was me jocks on. Mate,